Chapter 31 Part 4 of Struggles and Triumphs, or 40 Years Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 31 The Art of Money Getting, Part 4 Be Systematic Men should be systematic in their business. A person who does business by rule, having a time and place for everything, doing his work promptly, will accomplish twice as much and with half the trouble of him who does it carelessly and slipshod. By introducing system into all your transactions, doing one at a time, always meeting appointments with punctuality, you find leisure for pastime and recreation whereas the man who only half does one thing and then turns to something else and half does that will have his business at loose ends and will never know when his day's work is done, for it will never be done. Of course, there is a limit to all these rules. We must try to preserve the happy medium, for there is such a thing as being too systematic. There are men and women, for instance, who put away things so carefully that they never can find them again, it is much too like the red tape formality at Washington and Mr. Dickens's circumlocution office. All theory and no result. When the Astor House was first started in New York City, it was undoubtedly the best hotel in the country. The proprietors had learned a good deal in Europe regarding hotels, and the landlords were proud of this rigid system which pervaded every department of their great establishment. When twelve o'clock at night had arrived and there were a number of guests around, one of the proprietors would say, Touch that bell, John. And in two minutes, sixty servants with a water bucket in each hand would present themselves in the hall. This, said the landlord, addressing his guests, is our fire bell. It will show you we are quite safe here. We do everything systematically. This was before the Croton water was introduced into the city. But they sometimes carried their system too far. On one occasion, when the hotel was thronged with guests, one of the waiters was suddenly indisposed, and although there were fifty waiters in the hotel, the landlord thought he must have his full complement, or his system would be interfered with. Just before dinner time, he rushed downstairs and said, There must be another waiter. I am one waiter short. What can I do? He happened to see Boots the Irishman. Pat, he said, wash your hands and face. Take that white apron and come into the dining room in five minutes. Presently, Pat appeared as required, and the proprietor said, Now, Pat, you must stand behind these two chairs and wait on gentlemen who will occupy them. Did you ever act as a waiter? I know all about it, sure, but I never did it. Like the Irish pilot on one occasion when the captain, thinking he was considerably out of his course, asked, Are you certain you understand what you're doing? Pat replied, Sure, and I knows every rock in the channel. That moment, bang! thumped the vessel against a rock. Ah, be jabers, that is one of them, continued the pilot. But to return to the dining room, Pat, said the landlord, here we do everything systematically. You must first give the gentlemen each a plate of soup, and when they finish, ask them what they will have next. Pat replied, Ah, and I understand perfectly the values of system. Very soon in came the guests. The plates of soup were placed before them, one of Pat's two gentlemen ate his soup. The other did not care for it. He said, Waiter, take this plate away and bring me some fish. 
Pat looked at the untasted plate of soup and, remembering the injunctions of the landlord in regard to system, replied, Not till ye ate your soup! Of course, that was carrying system entirely too far. Read the newspapers. Always take a trustworthy newspaper and thus keep thoroughly posted in regard to transactions of the world. He who is without a newspaper is cut off from his species. In these days of telegraphs and steam, many important inventions and improvements in every branch of trade are being made, and he who don't consult the newspapers will soon find himself and his business left out in the cold. Beware of Outside Operations We sometimes see men who have obtained fortunes suddenly become poor. In many cases this arises from intemperance, and often from gaming, and other bad habits. Frequently it occurs because a man has been engaged in outside operations of some sort. When he gets rich in his legitimate business, he is told of a grand speculation where he can make a score of thousands. He is constantly flattered by friends, who tell him that he is born lucky, that everything he touches turns to gold. Now if he forgets that his economical habits, his rectitude of conduct and a personal attention to business which he understood caused his success in life, he will listen to the siren voices. He says, I will put up twenty thousand dollars. I have been lucky, and my good luck will soon bring me back sixty thousand dollars. A few days elapse, and it is discovered he must put in ten thousand dollars more. Soon after he is told, it is all right, but certain matters not foreseen require an advance of twenty thousand dollars more, which will bring him a rich harvest. But before the time comes round to realize, the bubble bursts. He loses all he is possessed of, and then he learns what he ought to have known at the first, that however successful a man may be in his own business, if he turns from that and engages in business which he don't understand, he is like Samson when shorn of his locks. His strength has departed, and he becomes like other men. If a man has plenty of money, he ought to invest something in everything that appears to promise success and that will probably benefit mankind. But let the sums thus invested be moderate in amount, and never let a man foolishly jeopardize a fortune that he has earned in a legitimate way, by investing it in things which he has had no experience. Don't endorse without security. I hold that no man ought ever to endorse a note or become security for any man, be it his father or brother, to a greater extent than he can afford to lose and care nothing about, without taking good security. Here is a man that is worth $20,000. He is doing a thriving manufacturing or mercantile trade. You are retired and living on your money. He comes to you and says, You are aware that I am worth $20,000 and don't owe a dollar. But if I had $5,000 in cash, I could purchase a particular lot of goods and double my money in a couple of months. Will you endorse my note for that amount? You reflect that he is worth $20,000, and you incur no risk by endorsing his note. You like to accommodate him, and you lend your name without taking the precaution of getting security. Shortly after, he shows you the note with your endorsement cancelled and tells you, probably truly, that he made the profit he expected by the operation. You reflect that you have done a good action, and the thought makes you feel happy. By and by the same thing occurs again, and you do it again. You have already fixed the impression in your mind that it is perfectly safe to endorse his notes without security. 
But the trouble is, this man is getting money too easily. He has only to take your note to the bank, get it discounted, and take the cash. He gets money for the time being without effort, without inconvenience to himself. Now mark the result. He sees a chance for speculation outside of his business. A temporary investment of only $10,000 is required. It is sure to come back before a note at the bank would be due. He places the note for that amount before you. You sign it almost mechanically, being firmly convinced that your friend is responsible and trustworthy. You endorse his notes as a matter of course. Unfortunately, the speculation does not come to head quite so soon as was expected, and another $10,000 note must be discounted to take up the last one when due. Before the note matures, the speculation has proved an utter failure and all the money is lost. Does the loser tell his friend, the endorser, that he has lost half of his fortune? Not at all. He don't even mention that he has speculated at all. But he has got excited. The spirit of speculation has seized him. He sees others making large sums in this way. We seldom hear of the losers. And like other speculators, he looks for his money where he loses it. He tries again. Endorsing his notes has become chronic with you, and at every loss he gets your signature for whatever amount he wants. Finally, you discover your friend has lost all of his property and all of yours. You are overwhelmed with astonishment and grief, and you say, It is a hard thing. My friend here has ruined me. But you should add, I have also ruined him. If you had said in the first place, I will accommodate you, but I never endorse without taking ample security, he could not have gone beyond the length of his tether, and he would never have been tempted away from his legitimate business. It is a very strange thing, therefore, at any time to let people get possession of money too easily. It tempts them to hazardous speculation, if nothing more. Solomon truly said, He that hateth suretyship is sure. So with the young man starting in business, let him understand the value of money by earning it. When he does understand its value, then grease the wheels a little in helping him to start a business. But remember, men who get money with too great facility cannot usually succeed. You must get the first dollars by hard knocks, and at some sacrifice, in order to appreciate the value of those dollars. Advertise your business. We all depend, more or less, upon the public for our support. We all trade with the public. Lawyers, doctors, shoemakers, artists, blacksmiths, showmen, opera singers, railroad presidents, and college professors. Those who deal with the public must be careful that their goods are valuable, that they are genuine, and will give satisfaction. When you get an article which you know is going to please your customers, and that when they have tried it they will feel they have got their money's worth, then let the fact be known that you have got it. Be careful to advertise it in some shape or other, because it is evident that if a man has ever so good an article for sale and nobody knows it, it will bring him no return. In a country like this, where nearly everybody reads and where newspapers are issued and circulated in editions of 5,000 to 200,000, it would be very unwise if this channel was not taken advantage of to reach the public in advertising. A newspaper goes into the family and is read by wife and children, as well as the head of the house. Hence, hundreds and thousands of people may read your advertisement while you are attending to your routine business. Many, perhaps, read it while you are asleep. The whole philosophy of life is first sow, then reap. That is the way the farmer does. 
he plants his potatoes and corn, and sows his grain, and then goes out about something else, and the time comes when he reaps, but he never reaps first and sows afterwards. This principle applies to all kinds of business, and to nothing more eminently than to advertising. If a man has a genuine article, there is no way in which he can reap more advantageously than by sowing to the public in this way. He must, of course, have a really good article, and one which will please his customers. Anything spurious will not succeed permanently, because the public is wiser than many imagine. Men and women are selfish, and we all prefer purchasing where we can get the most for our money, and we try to find out where we can most surely do so. You may advertise a spurious article and induce many people to call and buy it at once, but they will denounce you as an impostor and swindler, and your business will gradually die out and leave you poor. This is right. Few people can safely depend upon chance custom. You all need to have your customers return and purchase again. A man said to me, I have tried advertising and I did not succeed. Yet I have a good article. I replied, My friend, there may be exceptions to a general rule. But how do you advertise? I put it in a weekly newspaper three times and paid a dollar and a half for it. I replied, Sir, advertising is like learning. A little is a dangerous thing. A French writer says that the reader of a newspaper does not see the first insertion of an ordinary advertisement. The second insertion he sees, but does not read. The third insertion he reads. The fourth insertion he looks at the price. The fifth insertion he speaks of it to his wife. The sixth insertion he is ready to purchase. And the seventh insertion he purchases. Your object in advertising is to make the public understand what you have got to sell, and if you have not the pluck to keep advertising until you have imparted that information, all the money you have spent is lost. You were like the fellow who told the gentleman if he would give him ten cents it would save him a dollar. How can I help you so much with so small a sum? asked the gentleman in surprise. I started out this morning, hiccuped the fellow, with the full determination to get drunk, and I have spent my only dollar to accomplish the object, and it has not quite done it. Ten cents worth more of whiskey would just do it, and in this manner I should save the dollar already expended. So a man who advertises at all must keep it up until the public know who and what he is, and what his business is, or else the money invested in advertising is lost. Some men have a particular genius for writing a striking advertisement one that will arrest the attention of the reader at first sight. This tact, of course, gives the advertiser a great advantage. Sometimes a man makes himself popular by a unique sign or curious display in his window. Recently I observed a swing sign extending over a sidewalk in front of a store, on which the inscription, in plain letters, Don't read the other side. Of course I did, and so did everybody else and I learned that the man had made an independence by first attracting the public to his business in that way, and then using his customers well afterwards. Jeanine, the hatter, bought the first Jenny Lind ticket at auction for $225, because he knew it would be a good advertisement for him. "'Who is the bidder?' said the auctioneer as he knocked down the ticket at Castle Garden. "'Jeanine, the hatter!' was the response. Here were thousands of people from Fifth Avenue." and from distant cities in the highest stations of life. "'Who is Jeanine the Hatter?' they exclaimed. They had never heard of him before. 
The next morning, the newspapers and telegraph had circulated the facts from Maine to Texas, and from five to ten millions of people had read that the tickets sold at auction for Ginny Lynn's first concert amounted to about $20,000, and that a single ticket was sold at $225 to Janine the Hatter. Men throughout the country involuntarily took off their hats to see if they had a Janine hat on their heads. At a town in Iowa, it was found that in the crowd around the post office, there was one man who had a Janine hat, and he showed it in triumph, although it was worn out and not worth two cents. Why? one man exclaimed. You have a real Janine hat! What a lucky fellow you are! Another man said, Hang on to that hat, it will be valuable heirloom in your family. Still another man in the crowd, who seemed to envy the possessor of this good fortune, said, Come, give us all a chance! Put it up at auction! He did so, and it was sold as a keepsake for $9.50. What was the consequence to Mr. Jeannin? He sold 10,000 extra hats per annum the first six years. Nine-tenths of the purchasers bought of him, probably out of curiosity, and many of them, finding that he gave them an equivalent for their money, became his regular customers. This novel advertisement first struck their attention, and then, as he made a good article, they came again. Now, I don't say that everybody should advertise as Mr. Jeannin did, but I say if a man has got goods for sale and he don't advertise them in some way, the chances are that someday the sheriff will do it for him. Nor do I say that everybody must advertise in a newspaper, or indeed use printer's ink at all. On the contrary, although that article is indispensable in the majority of cases, Yet doctors and clergymen, and sometimes lawyers and some others, can more effectually reach the public in some other manner. But it is obvious. They must be known in some way. Else how could they be supported? Be polite and kind to your customers. Politeness and civility are the best capital ever invested in business. Large stores, jilt signs, flaming advertisements— will all prove unavailing if you or your employees treat your patrons abruptly. The truth is, the more kind and liberal a man is, the more generous will be the patronage bestowed upon him. Like begets like. The man who gives the greatest amounts of good for a corresponding quality for the least sum, still reserving to himself a profit, will generally succeed best in the long run. This brings us to the golden rule. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. And they will do better by you than if you always treated them as if you wanted to get the most you could out of them for the least return. Men who drive sharp bargains with their customers, acting as if they never expected to see them again, will not be mistaken. They never will see them again as customers. People don't like to pay and get kicked also. One of the many ushers in my museum once told me he intended to whip a man who was in the lecture room as soon as he came out. What for? I inquired. Because he said I was no real gentleman, replied the usher. Never mind, I replied. He pays for that, and you will not convince him you are a gentleman by whipping him. I cannot afford to lose a customer. If you whip him, he will never visit the museum again, and he will induce friends to go with him to other places of amusement instead of this— and thus, you see, I should be a serious loser. But he insulted me, muttered the usher. Exactly, I replied. And if he owned the museum and you had paid him for the privilege of visiting it, and he had then insulted you, 
there might be some reason in your resenting it. But in this instance he's the man who pays, while we receive, and you must, therefore, put up with his bad manners. My usher laughingly remarked that this was undoubtedly the true policy, but he added that he should not object to an increase of salary if he was expected to be abused in order to promote my interests. Be Charitable Of course men should be charitable, because it is a duty and a pleasure. But even as a matter of policy, if you possess no higher incentive, you will find that the liberal man will command patronage, while the sordid, uncharitable miser will be avoided. Solomon says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Of course, the only true charity is that which is from the heart. The best kind of charity is to help those who are willing to help themselves. Promiscuous almsgiving, without inquiring into the worthiness of the applicant, is bad in every sense. But to search out and quietly assist those who are struggling for themselves is the kind that scattereth and yet increaseth. But don't fall into the idea that some person's practice of giving a prayer instead of a potato and a benediction instead of bread to the hungry. It is easier to make Christians with full stomachs than empty. End of chapter 31, part 4 Recording by Jared Hind, Springfield, Missouri